this is always a difficult message to give because um, you probably think the person giving it is, has a perfect marriage. Uh, that ain't so because there's no such thing as perfect marriage because there's no such thing as perfect people. And um, I've been married 42 years and uh, plus, and I'm still a learner. And sometimes God has different seasons for you in learning. Uh, if you had told me about 10 years ago that my husband, who has been communicating around the world for the gospel long before I knew him, but he has, he's in the final stages of Alzheimer's now. And so this is a different stage of life for me as a wife. Um, a friend who was in my Sunday school class was only 35, but she found her husband dead in the shower one morning with three small children. So um, I would say to you, first of all, cherish every moment. Cherish the life you have. Because uh, you may think you're young and this could never happen, but you never know. So today is all we really have, and so just to cherish it. But Second Corinthians 4.1 says, Seeing we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. And that's how I feel about um, this, speaking on this. Uh, I know it would be a real temptation for you to think about your husband. Think, oh, if, he, if he would only do so-and-so, I could be a godly woman. But the thing I'm asking you today is don't even think about him. If he happens to be here and is going to hear uh, Fisher, uh, Mike, all I could think of was the other. Mike, um, he'll, he'll get an earful, so he'll be all right. So let's just think about ourselves and let's just pray and ask God to change us. Father, I do pray that the Holy Spirit would take control of me and of everyone in the in the class, Lord. I pray that you would um, anoint this time with your presence and that you would speak through me as an oracle of God. Father, I pray that your message would come through. Lord, let me forget anything that's not of you. Impress on our hearts the things that are. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk for just a minute about the, the importance of marriage because so little attention is given to it these days. So few couples marry understanding that God has a message in marriage. You know, when God looked for something to illustrate his love for the church, he didn't say as a father is to a son or a mother is to a daughter, brother is to a sister. He said as a husband is to a wife. And so that shows you that God gave this a very important um, lesson, a message to give to the world through our marriages. Uh, it was the very first institution that God established, which also gives you some uh, way of understanding how important it is to the heart of God. These are kind of old statistics, but I would imagine they are um, even worse today. Uh, one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And those who attend church together, it's only one out of every 50. Those who pray together, it's only one out of 1,105. So that shows you that if you put Christ as the cement in your marriage, you have a far better chance of it being all that you had wanted it to be. Uh, God's mission 
is to proclaim his love to the world. Satan's mission, you can understand then, is to destroy marriage. If God chose marriage to represent him to the world, you can understand why Satan has made it a number one priority with him to destroy it. If he can destroy a Christian marriage, uh, he, you know, shouts whoopee. If he can destroy a Christian leader's marriage, it's even better for Satan. And we see so much of that. I think Satan is stepping up his attacks. I think he realizes that his time is short, and so he's stepping up his attacks. I want to just give you a few ideas about how Satan might attack your marriage. And some of you will think, well, no, that doesn't apply to me. My husband would never cheat on me or get a divorce, and I would never do it. But 1 Corinthians 10:12 says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So uh, the first thing I would say to you is that he could appeal to your vanity. Now, um, as you get a little older, maybe a little grayer, a little fatter, uh, maybe you married your high school sweetheart or something, and so you begin to wonder, could I ever attract another man? Now, he's not going to have some bum off the street come and say, Honey, you really look pretty in that dress. <laughs> that wouldn't uh, mean much to us. But what if it's a really nice guy in your Sunday school class or your Bible study or your church group? And he says, You know what? That is a beautiful dress on you. Or he says, You've gotten your hair cut. I really like it. Of course, your husband didn't know you had a new dress. He didn't notice your hair. Nothing. So you can perk up and listen to this. And this also happens to men. You know, we, we kid a lot about midlife crisis. Oh, they're going through a midlife crisis. But this is when most of them are tempted to stray. And so it happens to them, too. Another thing Satan can say is, surely an extramarital affair would be a lot better than the one I got married, going in marriage. And so he can tempt you with the thoughts. Uh, maybe it'll be somebody at work. Maybe it'll be someone, a next-door neighbor or something. But it can be that um, that person uh, is somehow attracted to you, and you're attracted to them. And so Satan um, tells you that maybe it wouldn't be too bad. In fact, you can read in any of the ladies' magazines, and it says, I had an affair, and it helped my marriage. So right there, there's the authority. Another thing he does is he says, surely you don't think the Bible still applies today. Well, the Bible, if you've noticed, doesn't hide anybody's flaws. It talks about them. It talks about the message God gave to marriage. It gives us what we need. And so um, the Bible is very up to date. And it's the only thing that will work. You know, if you get a new car, you get an instruction manual with it. And they say, now, if you treat your car according to what we say in this manual, it'll give you good service. Well, God gave us a manual for marriage. It is the Bible. And he says, if you will do what I've laid out in the Bible, you will have a better marriage. Another thing Satan does is he divides the home. Now, he doesn't divide it with bad things. You would say, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen. But if you're going in one direction and your husband's going in another and your children are going in a third and you pass like ships in the night, then something is wrong. And one of the things that we can get out of order here is our ministering in the church. 
we can, and maybe our husband isn't interested, but we can really get into serving in the church. But if you leave him home, then it's not a good thing if he's home and alone. So um, another thing he does, Satan does, is confuse us about our proper roles. And I think this is where uh, women today have had the greatest temptations. Um, the liver, uh, liver, uh, women's lib movement have uh, brought in a great deal of erroneous thinking to the mind of women. Uh, I want to consider three things as we talk about our role as a wife. I want to mention the supportive role, the role of being a loving companion, and last of all, the sex role. And I leave that to last because then nobody leaves. They just <laughs> wait. <till. laughs> In the supportive role, the first thing to do is acknowledge his role as head. Ephesians 5:22 to 25 speaks of this. It tells us that man is the head of the home, the head of the family. Friend husband always said, anything with two heads is a monstrosity. And if you have become the head of your home, you realize it's not nearly as wonderful as you thought it would be because it's against God's plan. Let me ask you, are you making it easier or more difficult for your husband to be the head of your home? Uh, Maybe he's given up. Maybe he's just a lover but not a fighter. So it's just easier for him to give up. Genesis 2.18 describes what a wife is to be to a husband. It says that we are to be help meets. And the definition is a helper fit for him, completing him. It doesn't say help mate. It's not a 50-50 thing. You know, he changes the diapers, I change the oil. No, it's not a 50-50 thing. Each of us has a 100% role to fulfill. Some women are so used today to competing with their husbands rather than completing their husbands. A very wise woman said, have we won our rights only to lose our privileges? The next thing in the supportive role is to be submissive or be in subjection. And, of course, this is the word that just causes a hair on the back of our necks to stand up. And we want to fight over this, and we immediately suspect God of favoritism and injustice. And that's because we have been taught the wrong meaning. Uh, The Greek and Latin roots of this word both say to throw a foundation under supporting him. That's the meaning of being a helper fit for him. Um, It's not a matter of superiority or inferiority. And I think this is where we've gotten, where what we've heard today is I'm not going to be an old rug for him to walk on. I'm not going to get dirty on my feet, on his under, by his feet. I'm stuttering over my words here. Um, that's not what it means at all. Each of us has a hundred percent role to fulfill. And it's God, in God's economy, there's no such thing as a second class citizen. And the scripture says the two become one. And I like to think of a lock and a key. Which is more important? Well, obviously, they're useless apart from each other, but you put a lock and a key together, and they are useful. And so it is with our marriage relationship that it's not inferiority and superiority. We are equal heirs of the grace of life. 
Uh, let me give you some reasons to submit to your husband. The first thing I think of is to allow your husband to obey God's will for him. It's kind of a scary thing to think about, but this is one area that we can have uh, an unholy control over, is that our husband might really want to be what God wants him to be. He wants to be the head of the family. But if I don't cooperate, if you don't cooperate, it's impossible for him. And so in one very real sense, we can keep our husbands from fulfilling their role in marriage. Uh, every husband will be a leader if he knows he has a follower. And right away you think, oh, gosh, you don't know my husband. I tried to let him lead, and he made every such a mess that I had to take it over again. Well, you may have to go through some messes because it may be that his mother or grandmother or maiden aunt or school teacher, somebody may have beaten that out of him. And he may not realize that he is called to be the head of the family and what that means. Uh, God never assigns us something to do that he doesn't equip us to do. So this is standard equipment with men. They come with it built in because this is what God asks of them. My husband says that you take a little puppy bird dog and he'll go out in the field and he'll point sticks and stones and tweety birds and everything else. But once he points a quail, he'll never again point tweety birds and sticks and stones because he knows what he's made for and he'll only point quails. Well, a man, if he knows what he's made for, as I said, it may take some time, may take some messes if he's never been this. But God has equipped him. And so uh, this is the important thing to know is it it's what God has for him. Um, the next reason to submit is to obey God's will for me. Otherwise, frustration sets in. The path to happiness comes in fulfilling God's role for me. Do you think that God stood on the edge of heaven after he'd made woman and thought, now, let's see, what can I do to make her perfectly miserable? Aha, I'll make her submit to her husband. No, it's more like he stood there thinking, what can I do to bless this woman, to fulfill her, to make her happy, to make her secure? I'll have her submit to her husband. God has women submit because it meets our needs, not his. It's so easy to think that God requires this because something he wants he requires it because it suits our needs. Maybe you're thinking, my husband's umbrella is full of holes. God wants to put you under that umbrella, and you may think, well, it wouldn't do any good. His is so holy that it, uh, I wouldn't be protected. You'd be a lot better protected under an umbrella with holes than out from under it. Because when we're out from under that protection, we are a greater prey to the enemy. Titus 2.5 in the Phillips gives a good illustration of this truth and why we should do it. Uh, it says you do this as a good, adverter, good advertisement for the Christian faith. Um, what is your marriage advertising about the Christian faith? Ephesians 5.22 in the Phillips says you do this as a service unto the Lord. And that's what we need to keep in mind. This isn't that we're made to submit to this man just so he'll be built up. No, it's unto the Lord. You do this as unto the Lord. 
And it reflects my submission to God. Now, there are times when I like to think I am perfectly submitted to God, but I'm not submitted to my husband. It's two different things. But, you know, you really can't separate it. You can't be really submissive to God and not be submissive to your husband. It just doesn't work that way. You can't separate it. Howie Hendricks said we have perhaps overemphasized submission to husband and underemphasized submission to God because that's where it really is. The third thing in the supportive role is just to accept him the way he is. Don't try to change him. And I could ask you how many of you were successful at this, that you tried to change him and you were successful. Probably nobody would raise their hand. Have you noticed that when you try to do something like that, your husband just sits down like a mule or he puts up this brick wall and you cannot get through it? This is not the way to reach his heart. Um, now, if he needs real change, if there are really things that uh, not just make you comfortable, but things that you know uh, would make him a godly man, we have a secret weapon. It's called PLM. That's pray like mad. And so you use that secret weapon, but you keep your mouth shut. It's amazing what God can do if I would just mm-hmm. keep my mouth shut. He doesn't need my verbal assistance. Um, how do we show our acceptance of our husband? Well, one thing is to look to his better side. Don't compare him with other men. I think sometimes we get into that habit of getting on the phone with a girlfriend and say, well, you, you won't believe what Bill did this morning. And she answers and said, well, let me tell you what Jack did. And then you say, well, that's not so bad. But let me tell you, Bill, the other, and you just, you know, it's kind of, can you top this? And we get into this negative way of thinking about our husbands. And if one day you're in that sort of a mood where he seems like everything he does is wrong and makes you mad, what you need to do is, before then, make a list of all of his good points. Lord, thank you that he does this. Thank you that he's this way. Thank you that he doesn't do this. You know, just make a list. And that day when you're so angry with him, just um, go to the bathroom and lock the door, take your list, And just say, Lord, thank you that he's this. Thank you that he does that. Thank you that he doesn't do this, you know. And just praise God for what he is and who he is. And you need to express your acceptance of him. A man needs this. Sometimes we think they're so big and kill all their own snakes and everything that they don't really need that expression of acceptance from us. But they need to hear it. And what a man wants most is respect. Um, Sherry Jordan gave me this book first, and it has uh, I would recommend it as a number one book for all of you. It, it's called What Every Women Should Know? No. For Women Only by Shante Feldham. Uh, there's one now for um, to give to men uh, to tell them how to finally figure us out, and there's one for teenagers now explaining what a boy looks like. Uh, F-E-L Feldham, F-E-L-D-H-A-M, I believe, Shante, Shante, S-H-A-U-N-T-I, Shante Feldham. And you need to express your interest in him. I think the thing that keeps us from doing this is, is I don't know this is, if this is the exact term I want, but self-occupation. I don't mean just self-centeredness. I mean, um, maybe it's 
diapers and dustpan and dishes, or maybe it's Bunko, or maybe it's your work, or maybe it's uh, the club you belong to. But if we're not careful, then we can really um, wound our husbands by indifference and by just not paying any attention. That wounds a husband deeply to know that he's taken for granted. Charlie Shedd said in one of his books, it is seldom sex that drives a woman to a, mi- a man to a mistress. And I stopped right there and I thought, that's dumb. Everybody knows that a man takes a woman for sex. He said, no, it is rather her ability to make him feel like a king. I think you've probably known cases like I have where a man had a very attractive wife. She was cute. She was petite. She was lovely. But he had an affair with a woman wasn't all that pretty. wasn't all that shapely. Why do you suppose he did that? Not for sex, although he had that, but that wasn't the reason. It was because she, was, she made him feel like a king. His wife didn't have time for him. She didn't know how to build him up. They need to be accepted. They need to be admired. They need to be very much needed. And it's easy to fall into the trap of doing for him rather than being to him. Unless you have a strong magnet in your marriage, you can be assured there'll be a strong magnet outside of your marriage pulling it apart. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't have to worry about that because my husband, nobody would want my husband. Well, just be assured. Satan knows exactly where to plant someone what she looks like, what a need she would feel in your husband's wife if he's not getting it at home. Ruth Calkins says, oh God, she's such a fastidious housekeeper. Every day she cleans and cleans every crack, every corner, including the picture hangers on the wall. She simply insists that it has to be done. But when I see her lonely husband, so obviously frustrated, so totally shelved, I wish there were some way to convince her to include him in her cleaning schedule. Lord, he needs dusting off, too. We need to encourage them and support them in every way. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse talked about the difference between a brush fire and a hearth fire. Excuse me. A a brush fire has a lot of little, little fires burning all around here. But a hearth fire is one that gives off warmth and gives off comfort. And God wants us to be a hearth fire to our husbands, not a brush fire moving in all these different areas. Uh, One way to encourage and support him is just simply to listen to him. Um, To draw him out. And maybe you're thinking, how in the world do I do that? He never says anything. Uh, Maybe he's quiet because you always have so much to say. Men generally are not the talkers. We women who are the talkers. It's something like 20,000 words to uh, maybe 1,000 all day. So you need to know how to draw him out. And sometimes he needs your undivided attention. Now, if he's watching football, he doesn't need your undivided attention. 
But I remember a friend uh, said, her husband said, honey, would you just bring your coffee and come in here uh, to talk to me? She said, could I bring the mending? And he said, no, I just want to talk to you. So there are times when they need our undivided attention. I love the quote by um, a German German named Goethe, which I think is funny the way it's spelled. It's G-O-E-T-H-E. To me, it's Goethe or something. Goethe said, if you treat a man as he is, he will stay as he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to be or could be, he will become that bigger and better man. Tremendous challenge to us, I think, in those words. I want to share a little passage from a novel. It's probably even out of print now. I've had this quite a while. It was called Come Spring by Ben Ames Williams. This book, Come Spring, was um, a diaries taken from diaries kept by people during the um, Revolutionary War. And the two people here are Mima, the wife, and Joel, her husband. And he had just decided to call the men of the community together to uh, gather another petition to send to the general court. And this is what his wife said. They'll get so they look to you to tell them what to do. You're a good man, Joel. People listen to you. Men listen to you. He said laughingly, you keep on telling me how smart I am and you'll have me believing it. Then he said more seriously, it was, I wasn't much, you know, till you got hold of me. But you're just so sure that I'm going to work hard and do right that I just have to do it to keep you from being disappointed. I guess that's the way with men, she agreed. A woman's the root and a man's the tree. She is the ground that he grows out of. That's a wife's job, to be good growing ground so that her man will be fine. What if she isn't, say she's sourland or sandy? or dry, then he'll just be a stunted sort of a man, or else he'll find him another woman. That's all. A man don't go far without some women, woman loving him and always telling him he's wonderful. He said half to himself, if I was a tree, I needed pruning pretty bad when you took hold of me, Mima. After a moment, he added, I still do, for the matter of that. I ain't all you keep telling me I am, but I mean to be. And if you keep on telling me, I'll get to be. There was a deep tenderness in his tones when he said, You're good growing ground, Mima. So part of our job is to be good growing ground for our husbands. Another way to support him is to pray with him, pray for him with wisdom and insight. I remember when I first married and told my uh, mother-in-law, how I prayed for Jean when he traveled. She was embarrassed that I told her, let alone that I would ever mention it to God. And I said, Mother, I just would be foolish not to protect him with my prayers when he's out alone. And we need to pray defensively for them and guard them against other women. If your husband is um, in business, uh, you have to remember that those girls have time to put their makeup on and get all dressed and put perfume on and so on before they go to work. And, you know, don't let him see you in an old ragged house coat with curlers in your hair because you need to be the best-looking thing that he can think of to come home to. You know, the path to your house needs to be the real thing. And he, we have tough competition in the world today, and we need to make sure that the place they want to be is home with us.
And sometimes people think, well, I don't have to worry about that because my husband walks so close to the Lord that that's not a problem. But have you ever thought about the fact that the captain, that, I mean, the person that is closest to the captain is the one that receives the most arrows from the enemy? So if he's close, think what a, what a victory for Satan. If a husband who is walking with God is suddenly out of the battle. Uh, I just read a letter from one of our friends who work in um, different parts of Russia. And he was uh, saying that he was helping 22 of these leaders of these different ministries, different parts, uh, by mentoring them and praying for them and seeing them and so on. And he said, you'll notice I only said 22 and not 23 as we had last year. Because a man who was being greatly used fell. And he's under church discipline now. See, he was closest to the captain. He had had a productive ministry. But he was the one that Satan was after. The last thing in this is keep him second only to the Lord. Keep him second only to the Lord. And that, you know, as you get, uh, uh, maybe you work outside the home or you get one, two, three, four children, you know, and, and it's hard then to keep the Lord first. But he should, our husbands should know that no one occupies our heart above him except the Lord. Being a loving companion is the second part. I think I can best illustrate this by telling you some don'ts. The first one is don't nag. A friend asked her husband, what do you mean by nagging? And he said, whenever you ask, two times. Well, I think all of us nag. I think this is standard equipment that we come with. Did you ever notice that men don't usually nag men? It's women who nag. Now, anybody that knew my husband knows that I would never nag my husband. He wasn't the kind. But I had three, I still have three boys. They're grown men now. But as they were growing up, I went to bed many a night thinking, all they'll ever remember is that their mother nagged them all day long. Proverbs 21.9 in the Amplified said, It is better to dwell on a flat oriental roof exposed to all kinds of weather than in a house shared with a nagging, quarrelsome, fault-finding woman. So um, we need to be sure that we don't nag. And that's hard, isn't it? Like I say, we come with standard equipment. The next thing is don't be negative and critical. I come from a long line of negative thinkers. And when my mom was alive and we'd get a letter from her, and Gene loved her dearly, but he'd say, well, we got another letter from Job's wife. <laughs> because it would always have a recital of everything that was wrong with everybody in the family. This one's sick. This one ran off. You know, and the whole thing would be negative. So don't be negative and critical. Proverbs 12.25 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. I'm sure you've had this experience where you had a very heavy heart yourself, and you went to somebody else, and as they shared with you perhaps the scripture and talked with you and loved on you, you went away with a much lighter heart. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Philippians 4 8 is probably something we should all make a um, prayer list out of. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. 
Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others and think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. And I, I memorized that thinking of the, the main words. Think, uh, I'm sorry, first fix, then think, and then think. Um, think uh, is the last one. I'm sorry, I'm. I'm having a hard time with trifocals reading all this down here. Besides that, I haven't given this message in a long, long time since my husband became ill. And so this is uh, as if I was giving it the first time. So I'm sorry for my blubbering along here, but um, uh, it's not as familiar to me as it once was. So, yes. That one was... Um, what's your thoughts? That's, I think that's uh, living that one was okay um, another illustration of this being negative and critical we were in Greece one time and I do not like Grecian art Grecian urns that sort of thing we were in a gift shop and my husband would pick up something and say well I, I like that isn't it said, oh, gosh it's ugly and he'd move on to something else and he said, well I kind of like this one. Oh, I think it's terrible and this went on for several minutes. Finally, he looked at me in exasperation and said, Sweetheart, is the sun coming up in the west in the morning? <laughs> so that kind of became a little word to us that uh, he would give me that, to let me know that I was being very negative and critical. Kind of along that line is don't be a dream buster. Don't be a dream buster. Um, Proverbs 14.1 says, Every woman... Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one plucks it down with her own hands. And your husband might come home with this outlandish idea, and he's all excited. He said, honey, this guy at work is going to sell his boat, and it's a big boat, and and it needs a lot of repairs, but, but we could do it. And, you know, we could sail around the world in it, and, and you could teach the children. You could homeschool them there on the boat. And, you know, he's just going on so excited, and your hands go on your hips, and you say, where do you think you get the money for that? And if you think I'm going to homeschool those kids, you've got another thing coming. And so we just bust the dream. Now, uh, the other thing you can do is he comes home with an idea, thinking that it's fresh and new, and you say, I read that in that magazine, that ladies' magazine last month. And you bust the dream. So what do you do when he comes home and wants to buy a boat and sail around the world? PLM, your secret weapon. Pray like mad. Ruth Calkins says, Lord, dear Lord, I am desperately pleading with you. Please, please speak to my husband. You see, he's made this determined decision, and I am convinced he is totally wrong. Change his mind, Lord. Nudge him. Prick him. Turn him around. Do anything. But capture his attention and show him that I'm right. (laughs) Foolish child, don't ask me to make your husband what you want him to be. Just ask him to make me what I want him to be. To make him what I want him to be. Another uh, part of this is don't be filled with self-pity and complaining. Um, Jude 16 says, these are the grumblers complaining of their lot. And 
you know, I would rather call what I'm feeling anything but mm-hmm. self-pity. I do not like to admit that I am having a pity party. But being filled with self-pity and complaining is a tremendously unlovable thing. I know a little young teenager who fits this bill pretty well. And you know, unless she changes, she's going to be a hard wife to deal with. Unless she really lets God change her in this. Another area in this is don't talk too much. Don't talk too much. Uh, don't try to correct him, especially in public. And some husbands can let you do this at home if you do it in a gentle way. Some husbands can't. But never do it in public. For instance, maybe he starts out and says, uh, well, um, Max and Sandra were going with us. Honey, don't you remember? It wasn't Max and Sandra. It was Sherry and Jeff. And he starts again. He said, well, we were going down to Lake Texoma. I remember, honey, it was Lake Murray. And about the third time you do this, through clenched teeth, he says, sweetheart, would you like to tell the story? So you don't correct him in public. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterwards. And Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own opinion. And I think there are sometimes what the world can't live without my opinion. And it, the scripture says, keep your mouth shut. Don't talk so much. And then don't harp on a matter. You know, something where you never let a matter die. You just keep harping on it, harping on it. Um, Proverbs 17.9 in the Amplified says, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. You know, men, generally speaking, see the big picture. Women see the details. A man asked you um, how the party was. All he wants to know was a good party or bad party. But you need to tell him who was there, what they Mm. wore, uh, what you ate, what the decorations were. You know, you need to tell him the whole thing. And sometimes I've had to say to Gene, just, honey, I have to tell you this. Just, just let me say this. And then he gets glassy-eyed and just listens to me. Um, I have a, a wonderful fish story. I caught this big fish in New Zealand. It was a trophy fish. It was nine-and-a-half-pound trout. And, and, you know, I had pictures of people mopping my brow as it took me an hour and 40 minutes to get this fish in. And... Uh, <laughs> I love it when Gene would tell the story because that fish really grew. It was much bigger than when I would tell the story. So they see the big picture and we see the details. Gene says you ask a girl for the time of day and she tells you how the watch was made. So, uh, and we can remember every bad thing he ever said or did, can't we? And we have a lot of trouble with scripture memory. But bad things... We can really recall. And what he doesn't realize is that every time something like that happens, it's like you paste an emotional trading stamp down inside. And every time he does something, you paste another emotional trading stamp. And one day he does something and you just fall apart. And he thinks, I didn't think it was that bad. But he doesn't know your whole page was full. You know, you had tucked it all down inside. And so... uh, Men don't want to live with a woman 
that keeps bringing up the past. You've got to let it die. If you want to live with this man, let it die. That sometimes, by the way, drives a man to a mistress too. A woman who harps on things. All of his mistakes. The last one is, next to the last one, and that is, don't harbor resentment and bitterness. This is a tremendous, important word. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual life. And the wonderful thing is that we need to know that we cannot afford bitterness. The price is too high. If you're bitter, even like, let's say you're bitter toward your mother, but it'll affect your relationship with your husband, with your children, with your other family. We can't keep bitterness to ourselves. It is such an awful, rotten thing that it spews out to the rest of the families or friends. And so uh, it's just too high a price to pay. Don't let bitterness and resentment grab a hold of you. And then the last thing in that... Um, Loving companion, don't have a defensive spirit. Um, certain topics when they come up in a marriage, uh, it's very easy for us to put up a wall. Like when he says, uh, how come we're overdrawn at the bank? Or he says, uh, what is this check for here? Now, it may be something else besides finances in your life, but is there something that causes you to just erect a barrier. And when we get defensive, it's very hard to have a conversation, to communicate. So don't have a defensive spirit. Some of you perhaps thinking, well, I, I am just such a quiet person. I mean, I, I, would, I would never say those things. I would never. Well, it's attitudes. It doesn't have to do with our words. They may spew out too. But sometimes we can seethe in our attitude. Mm -hmm. I remember telling the lady that helped me so much, I said, oh, I just wish I was like Pat. And she said, no, you don't. She said, she harbors everything inside. But she had such a quiet demeanor, and I thought, oh, gosh, I spew off so much if I could just be like her. And she said, no. She hides it all down inside. Well, on the positive side of being a loving companion, we need to work at the job of being sweethearts. Now, if you're young and you don't have children yet, you may think, well, why would she put that in? It's such great work. But if you both have jobs or if you are busy with one or two or three or four children or whatever, it becomes very difficult to maintain that wonderful spiritual, I mean, uh, sweetheart attitude. Uh, you have to fight for time to be Sweethearts, it's very easy to let it slip away before you even know it. As I said before, you become busy in, even if it's church work, and he even becomes busy in church work, and your children are in all the things at church, it can rob you of just sweetheart time. So you really have to guard this. And then do respect and reverence your husband. And then Amplified gives this verse in Ephesians 5.33 a wonderful description of what it means to respect and reverence your husband. It says that she notices him, regards him, honors him, refers him, venerates and esteems him, that she defers to him and praises and loves him and admires him exceedingly. Now that would make a good prayer list, wouldn't it? Not very many of us can get through that verse and think, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. I do this. I do that. Mm-hmm. I do this. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a constant prayer for us. Another thing is to admire him, admire his manliness. And we need to verbalize our um, admiration. Now, if he's not tall, dark, and handsome, but he's short and balding and has a paunch, you know, you can't say, wow, I really love your broad shoulders. <laughs> you need to be sincere. Don't go jump on him and try and give him a whole bunch of compliments. But if he takes care of the lawn, say, honey, I'm so, I just thank you. That's so wonderful that you take care of the lawn. Or if he keeps oil in the car, honey, thank you. You know, I, I just am not very good about that. Thank you that you do that for me. You know, whatever it is, as I said, don't uh, jump on him with a whole bunch of compliments. He'll know that something was up, but be very sincere and admire him. He needs to hear you. And you need to communicate with him. Now, he comes home from the office, and what does he look like? He's either got a lunchbox or he's got his uh, uh, briefcase in his hand. He's all slumped over, looking very tired. And when he comes in, you know, what you want to do is put your hands on the hip and say, listen, if you think you've had a bad day, let me tell you what's happened here. The wash machine overflowed. The toilet is all stopped up. Three kids have the flu, and they vomited all over the rug. You know, and you just want to spell it all out. Well, if the house is on fire, you probably have to tell him that, but otherwise give him a little re-entry time. He has to have a little re-entry time before you pounce on him. And so um, greet him with gladness and be a good listener. This is so important for those of us who are older. You know, if all you talk about, talked about with when you had small children was uh, braces, uh, tennis shoes, torn jeans, that sort of thing, you're going to look across the table at a stranger when you have an empty nest. So you need to learn to not let common things get away, things that you do. Uh, I don't know if this applies to you, but we had to schedule date nights. It was on the calendar, because if we didn't, we wouldn't get them. And then keep yourself attractive. Uh, not just aging. We're all doing that, whether it's whether you're young or older, you're, you're aging. And I don't mean just that. But giving attention to femininity and to, in your dress and in your manner, just to be feminine, uh, to look as good as you can possibly look. Because, as I said, we have a lot of competition. And Satan knows exactly where to dress those dollies up and put them in the way of your husband. And so that, that path to our house needs to look like the best one he's seen all day. Jean used to say, why do you want uh, margarine when you've got butter at home? And uh, we need to be the real thing that they come home to. Uh, you need to be feminine in your dress and in your manner. Your husband's left the roommate to marry you. He does not want you to look like his roommate. He uh, left that behind. And his masculinity grows in proportion to your femininity. Um, Do you have some of those long-sleeved flannel granny gowns you're sleeping in? Well, don't throw them away. They make good dust cloths. And don't blow the budget, but just carefully save up a little money and get yourself something pretty to dress for your husband. A little cute nighty or something. You think, my husband would never even notice. 
I guarantee he would notice. He be, might be shell-shocked and not be able to say anything. <laughs> but he will notice. Uh, this guards them against the lust of the flesh and against other women becoming a problem to them. Now, the sex relationship, um, I think what uh, many women don't realize is that this is actually a physical need for a man. It's not just emotional. It is a physical need for release. And it affects how a man can function. Some of you may think, I don't think he ever gets tired. Well, he's probably very normal. And uh, God said that this is a one-flesh relationship, Genesis 2.25. And so this, again, mirrors the intimacy that we have with Christ. So obviously, it's something that God is blessed and that God is pleased with. But it also shows you why it should be reserved for the bonds of marriage. Satan delights to see it used outside of marriage. It's like God makes this beautiful picture of sex and puts it in this wonderful frame of marriage. And Satan likes to drag that picture out and rub it in the mud and the dirt and the mire and say, see, it's dirty. And so many of us have come into marriage with that philosophy. And we need to just let the Lord change us in this. Um, maybe because of a premarital sexual relationship, you have guilt or you have fear. Uh, maybe it was being molested. Some of us have come into marriage with a lot of baggage. And maybe we were told awful tales by our mothers or grandmothers, and we were told that certainly a spiritual woman would not enjoy this. It couldn't be. You couldn't be very spiritual if you really enjoyed this relationship. Tim LaHaye, in one of his early books, said, Sex education is 20% education and 80% attitude. The right attitude is important for both the husband and the wife. The first thing to recognize is that the act of marriage, as he calls it, or intercourse, is good. It was designed by God for man's good. It could well be described as the most sublime expression of love between two people when limited to the bonds of marriage. Because of the fact that taboos are properly put on intercourse during the teenage and courtship years, Christian girls sometimes hesitate to enter enthusiastically into this relationship after marriage. Before marriage, it was no, 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 and overnight we're supposed to say yes, yes, yes. And sometimes that's been hard. Sometimes because of a preconceived ideas and false suggestions conveying an evil connotation, there's a subconscious association of guilt in fulfilling this act. Occasionally, a girl's viewpoint has been warped by a frustrated mother or grandmother whose sex life was unhappy, and she may secretly carrying a feel, carry a feeling of dread to her marriage bed. These attitudes are contrary to God's plan. The only taboos in the sex relationship are outside the bonds of marriage. There's absolutely no connotation of evil involved in a proper relationship. Uh, the most spiritual thing you can do, one of the most spiritual things you can do, is to be an uninhibited, relaxed, fun partner in sex. Marriage and sex were given by God before sin entered the world. And I think this is important for us to realize. This was a wonderful gift that God gave to marriage before sin entered the world. 
And I think that if you've had a bad experience sexually before marriage, you need to separate that and realize that even though it's called by the same name, it's an entirely different situation. And you need to just put that aside. Um, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, do you think God said this is a good gift for men, but not for women? You know, would God do that? Would he say, this is a really good gift for men, and you girls just have to endure it? No, he means for it to be a wonderful relationship for us too. I love Howie Hendricks' explanation of Genesis 18:12. This is when Abraham and Sarah were taught, uh, were told that they were going to have a child. And the King James says that Sarah said something to the effect, uh, "Am I going to have the pleasure?" And it sounds like she's saying, uh, "Bearing a son." But Howie Hendricks says, "No, it was talking about sexual pleasure." And she's saying, "Whoopee!" Here's this 90-year-old woman thinking, "I'm going to get the pleasure of sex again." And I'm 90 years old. First um, Corinthians 6:15 to 20 is that portion of scripture that talks about how our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we often think about the things that we shouldn't do because this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the things that is right to use this body for is for a loving relationship sexually with our husband. So the only taboos are outside the bonds of marriage. And women need the security and the stability of marriage to fully enjoy the sexual act. 1 Corinthians 7.35 is that portion that says that you are not to defraud, don't withhold, don't use it as a weapon or a tool. And I think we're capable of that, aren't we? We sometimes think, well, we can give him a reward if he's a good boy. And we think that we have control over this. And never it should be used as a weapon or as a tool or uh, perhaps you're the reluctant dragon. Tonight I really have a headache, honey, and I'm really tired, and you're the reluctant dragon. Friend said, you know, my wife pleads a headache and stomach ache and sometimes her feet, and I never did figure out what the feet had to do with anything. Uh, many times, uh, I used to say this is not ancient history, this is... Uh, current events, but with my husband sick for so many years, I have to say ancient history for me. There have been times when I would just think, oh, Lord, I'm really tired tonight. And I'd go in the bathroom and pray. And I could honestly say that we never had sexual relationships when I felt so tired to begin with that that I wasn't refreshed afterwards. God means it to be health giving and joy to us. There are several consequences to ignoring his needs. Um, it affects our relationship with God because it's commanded. And secondly, we can damage or ruin the relationship with our husband. And we can tempt them to sin, to anger, masturbation, perhaps adultery. Now, it's obvious it doesn't hurt a man to miss a meal. But if he's missing a whole month's worth, probably he's a very hungry prey for the enemy. Now, let me just talk for a minute about foreplay. I think that however little we knew when we got married, we thought this intercourse was going to be some part of it. We didn't exactly know what. Uh, foreplay 
the first girl that got married in college and went away and then came back and told us all about it. And she said, oh, talk about wandering hands. They're everywhere. <laughs> and we all said, oh, how awful. It's obvious that we didn't know anything about it. And uh, I think that sometimes women don't understand the husband's desire to caress and fondle your body or your uh, freedom to caress and fondle his body, even his genital organs. And I think it's easy for us to think, are we doing this right? Does anybody else do what we do? And you don't, this is something you don't go to the phone and call and say, now listen, is this okay? Uh, if it's pleasing mm-hmm. to you, it's pleasing to God. It is for our benefit that we have foreplay. Have you ever noticed that a guy turns on like a light bulb? Just that quick. But women are like an iron. It takes us a while to build up steam. And so foreplay is for our benefit. Men enjoy the pleasure, the, uh, the work, but it's for our benefit. Shirley Rice said, There is no part of the body that is improper to use to caress with the lips, the tongue, or the hands. Anything is permissible as long as it's not offensive to either party and affords mutual pleasure and satisfaction. You would refrain from anything offensive to the other, although many inhibitions should be removed by the knowledge that this sort of lovemaking between husband and wife is holy and pleasing to God. If this relationship is not important to you, I'd really urge you to get help because you don't know what you're missing. And and if you're not enjoying it, you're not enjoying what God planned for you to enjoy. Sometimes a woman's bad attitude about the sex relationship can be a hindrance to her husband spiritually. You know, maybe if your husband isn't where you want him to be spiritually, you need to check and see, am I responsive to him in this way? Because sometimes that can be a stumbling block. Uh, Proverbs 31.11 says, The heart of her husband trusts in her so that he has, and sorry, I just wrote this, trusts in her confidently and relies on, believes in her safely so that he has no lack of honest gain or need for dishonest spoil. Now, I don't know all that that verse means, but what it means to me is that I keep him happy at home. He has no lack of honest gain then he will not need dishonest spoil. And so that's um, the privilege that we have. Um, Love loves to give. That's a characteristic of love. And this is one of the sweetest, uh, dearest, most private acts of love we have in marriage. Peter Marshall said, God is the greatest asset to romance. He thought it up in the first place. Include him in every part of your marriage, and he will lift it above the level of the mundane to something rare and beautiful and lasting. Now, if I've discouraged any of you by these long lists, then I've really failed. And what I would like you to do, if God has spoken to you, take the one thing at the top of your list that he has said to you most strongly and start working on that. And then work on these other things one at a time, but don't be overwhelmed. I will have failed if that's uh, what you go away with. Ruth Calkins again in closing. Change me, God. Please change me. Though I cringe, kick, resist, and resent, pay no attention to me, whatever. When I run to hide, drag me out of my safe little shelter. Change me totally, whatever it takes. However long you must work at the job, change me and save me from spiritual self-destruction. Let's pray. 
Father, I just ask that you take these faltering words and um, make them meaningful and important in some special way to each of the women. Thank you for the privilege of sharing. In Jesus' name, amen. We have about uh, 10 minutes, a little more, if any of you have questions. That, that has this kind of thing in it. I have some handouts for you, but I didn't want to give them to you till afterwards because you'd read through them. <laughs> and it's a compilation of just a lot of different things. That, not all from me, but things I've gathered. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, it's the Godly Woman in Bible Study. Uh, you can get it through our office. It's amazing to me. Um, it has a separate teacher's guide, which is not the popular thing today. You, you know, you have all the teacher's questions in the back of the student's book, which didn't make any sense to me. And Word was publishing it, but then they wanted to do away with the teacher's guide because they, you know, obviously they'd sell ten books in one teacher's guide. So economically it wasn't the best. And I said, no, uh, anybody can teach it if they have the teacher's guide. And we insist that you leave it for the godly man and godly woman. So we've sent it out from our office for quite a long time. And it's amazing to me the stories that I hear um, of God using it. I sat beside a lady at a banquet at a church in Edmond. And she said, oh, I'm so glad to meet you finally. You're the one that wrote The Godly Woman. I said, yeah. She said, a long time ago, the first Bible study I did in someplace out in western Oklahoma was that study, and I still have it. Happened to see her at a, at a shoe store yesterday, and she said, um, I found all my notes that I used with that. So God is still blessing it and using it, and I'm grateful. So, yes. Well, I know that they have the godly man. I didn't know if they had the godly woman. Do they have it too? Yeah. 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 Well, look online. I missed all of your information. I know you said this already, but is your husband in hospital now? No, we have a guest house, and right behind our house. And so God knew a long time ago that it wasn't going to be a guest house in the latter years. It was going to be Gene's place. And we have help with him around the clock. And he's uh, he had to have his legs amputated in last December. And so he's, you know, everybody always knew him as Big Gene. Uh, and he's not Big Gene anymore, but he still has a sweet smile and a light in his eyes. And and um, he just got out of the hospital uh, with a kidney uh, urinary tract infection, which he gets quite often. And um, every time he goes to the hospital, we see him kind of come down another level in uh, the disease. And so he is going down, but uh, he's very strong physically, so I think he won't go until the disease takes him. So, But he's sweet. He, uh, yes, I mean, he, sometimes he says several words and they're appropriate. Sometimes he'll just say yes. Um, usually when I say, uh, I love you, sweetheart, he'll say, uh, thank you. And uh, when I say, you're my sweetheart, he'll say, uh, you bet. And, but now lately he'll, he'll just say yes. And so he's communicating less, but uh, every once in a while he comes out with something that 
like when he was in the hospital with one of his urinary tract infections after he had his amputations, he said to one of the grandkids something to the effect of, um, my legs aren't as long now because I was in the war. You know, and that came out just as clear as anything. But uh, a few minutes later, he may not have remembered anything. So, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he used to, uh, he keeps his head down a lot now, and he used to, you know, be sitting up in his chair, and he'd look up when I'd come in, and he'd say, well, there's my sweetie, or there's Irma. And now he just has his head down, and I have to get down and get right under his face to, to get his attention sometimes. But privilege. I'm sorry? Three sons. One is 41. One is 39 this next week. And one is uh, 33. So good. Is that right? <laughs> good old Saifed. Yeah. I've told Sandra, I guess, at lunch that um, I think of, I met, who did I meet that had not met me? Oh, Brad Ray. Brad Ray, who's done a lot of putting the messages on iPods or MP3s or something. Uh and he wanted to meet me, and I said, I think of the message, I mean, of the uh, verse in the Bible that says, he being dead yet speaketh. And I said, Gene isn't dead physically, but he's dead as far as ministry is concerned. And yet, God is speaking through him. And it's wonderful. And whereas we started that library on reel-to-reel tape, then we went to cassettes, and then now it's CDs and DVDs and all that, so... We met the first week that I was in Oklahoma. I had been working with the Navigators, and I came to work for Dr. Jack Huff, who wanted a girl from the Navigators that would be his receptionist and minister to patients in the hospital. And Jack and Jody Huff had me over Labor Day with a lot of their friends to meet me and had me give my testimony, and Jean was there. And our friends began immediately putting us together, and we were friends. And uh, I knew him five years before we married, and we were friends. And so we would laugh and tell each other what they said because we didn't think it was possible at all. We weren't the least bit interested. And over a period of – we were thrown together a lot because there was no NAV leadership in a man in Oklahoma City. He was the closest thing to it. And I was working with girls, and so we would be thrown together all the time and navigator things. And so we were good friends, and people would say things to us, and we would just laugh, and we'd tell each other how strange this was. We weren't interested at all. And somewhere I think about um, two and a half, three years down the pike, um, began to realize that there was more to it than that. And uh, I thought Jack Humphreys would die if Gene didn't hurry up and uh, <laughs> talk to me. And... He and Bonnie used to go with us on these, we'd have a weekend conference, and Bonnie said, I am tired of being Irma's roommate. I do not want to be Irma's roommate. I want my own roommate. <laughs> so they were the first couple that we went to tell when we had uh, set a marriage date. And uh, Dad broke out and cried. <laughs> Gave it about time, you know. <laughs> so we uh, knew each other five years. We've been married 42-plus years. And a uh, wonderful, wonderful journey. 
and I didn't have any surprises because we knew each other. And we sometimes had to put Sandra and Max back together again. Hmm? He'd be ready and she wouldn't, or she'd be ready and... <laughs> no. I think if I remember Gene's conversation over breakfast one morning, he said something to the fact that you either better harness this horse up or send it back to the barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, any other questions? Okay. Thank you all so much. Yes, now, yeah, would you like to pass those out? I had this fear that I was going to forget to pass leave early and not get one, but our secretary put that together for me. She just had all the little pieces of separate things that I'd given her on her computer. And so she said, yes, I can do this for you. And she uh, did this beautiful little display of, you know, putting it in a book. And yes, you can have an extra. Thank you all so much.